Welcome to Silicon Valley Momentum, where advisor and author Roland Siebeling talks all things tech startups and brings you interviews with founders across the world. Now, here's your host. Hello, and welcome to the Silicon Valley Momentum podcast. My name is Roland Siebeling, and I'm a scale-up ally for tech founders. I'm very excited today because we have a guest all the way from Serbia. It's Milan Dobrota, the CEO of Agrimo. Hello, Milan. Hello, Roland, and hello to all of your listeners. It's my pleasure to be here with you. Absolutely. It's the honor is totally on our side. So, Milan, let's just jump right into it. What does Agrimo do and what difference do you make for whom in the world? Yeah, so, uh, in Agrimo, we are developing the technology, which is actually software technology that uh, uses AI to analyze aerial imagery because the problem we are solving is that we are attacking the issue of having the suboptimal crop production caused by the fact that there are so many unknowns and there is a huge lack of data about the crops and about the fields. So uh, we are basically replacing the inefficient techniques of gathering the data which are usually incomplete, expensive or inaccurate. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what kind of crop production do you typically try to optimize with the Grimo? Is it all crops anywhere or are you focusing on specific subsets of crops? So the technology is built in a way that one of the actually important benefits is that it can be trained easily to attack new challenges and mm-hmm. deal with theoretically any crop and any phenomena using any data sources. So the uh, aside the high accuracy the uh, adaptability is a very important differentiation of ours. So uh, we can deal with any crop and any phenomena within the crop. But of course, in our efforts to make it more available and accessible on the market, we are focusing on a smaller number of crops. And uh, for instance, such as uh, corn, wheat, uh, soybeans, barley. So typically it's uh, cereals, then it's industrial plants, such as, such as uh, sugar beet then vegetables, uh, tomato, potato, but also in forestry and uh, in such in plantations, for instance, uh, palm oil trees and uh, so on. That's awesome. Okay, so really like the core staple crops that uh, are being used all around the world, it sounds that makes sense to at least start with those beachheads, right? So tell us a little bit about the history of Agrimo. How did you get into this business and when did you start the company? On what basis? So as an idea, we, it launched uh, in uh, 2014. And actually, it was launched as a project within, at that time, a mother company, which was in the software services business. But uh, we wanted to um, uh, build our own product. And, uh, you know, of course, in the area where our strengths are, uh, which was, as besides the agriculture, it was uh, software engineering and data science. So this is how we got, and yeah, by the way, there was a lot of hype about the drones, in drone usage, in commercial drones usage, in agriculture and other industries. So, uh, and luckily for us, and uh, it's there is no more of such hype. So it's now it's just all in the real business, which and we are very right. happy for that. But again, so we started investing in the idea, and initially we got funded by an EU grant, and it started to grow from there. And and after in 2018, we spent it off completely with a seed round investment. So now it has, of course, its uh, independent journey. Absolutely. So that's a different uh, trajectory than many of the startups I talk to, right? So when you compare your history at Agrimo to some of the stories you read or hear from 
other founders. Do you feel it makes a difference that you started off as a corporate venture, finding your independence later versus the people who just start out in a garage? Yeah, so actually we didn't start it as a, in, in that sense from a corporation uh, because the previous mm -hmm. company was also a privately held company founded basically by the same founding team. But it oh. had a completely different journey. We benefited in, in that regard that we knew each other for a long time already. We did the picking of a founding team. We did a business together. We knew the strengths and the weaknesses. So, so it was in, in this sense, it was uh, much easier for us. Uh, but of course, there was still a lot uh, to learn about the new business, about how to make a good product uh, that will um, solve important problems in a very easy and not complex uh, way for, for customers and, and benefit everyone. So, uh, yeah, it was a bit easier, but still not, not too much easy for us. I understand. And so it sounds like you all came from a software background. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. So I, my background is actually software engineering and my mm -hmm. PhD is in data science or more uh, particularly computational statistics. So uh, I have around 19 years experience already in the industry. But, you know, I think that uh, regardless of all that, getting onto an entrepreneurial journey Launching and managing a company like this that is uh, developing a product for a global market and uh, trying to develop the business uh, globally, you know, it, sometimes I feel like I don't have 19 months of experience and not to mention 19 <laughs> years. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely learning uh, how to do this business. So that actually the most important fact about my background is that I'm, I'm learning. Learning, yes, absolutely. And I love to hear that when founders and CEOs really bring that focus on learning in the job. That's such an important asset, right? So does any of the co-founders have a particular background in agriculture or was that just a use case that seemed very obvious to you guys to venture into? Yeah, no, no it's actually we, it's something in between. Mm. Not by the professional vocation, uh, none of the core founding team was the agronomist or something like that. Mm. But we all grew up on farms, you know. We are from the rural mm. area. So we had it in our genes and in our uh, the mindset to working in and for agriculture. But our core experience was in the technology, in the software engineering, in data science and the product development. The software helps to optimize yields, I guess, optimize crop production. Uh, who's the customer? Do you sell it directly to farmers or how should I imagine that go to market? Yeah, that's, that's a very interesting question. So the thing is that what we are just often of technology, you may think like of a magic that solves, like you push a button and here you have higher yields or more profits. It uh, practice it doesn't work that way. So I just want to emphasize on that. It actually, we are giving you much more accurate digital information in real time of what's going on on your fields. So this is the first thing that is very important. Now, then the second question is how and who that helps. Mm -hmm. So it's not just the farmers and crop producers who are benefiting, but there are benefits throughout the value chain. So for instance, Input suppliers uh, need this kind of technology to help their customers to grow uh, their crops better on one side, and um, uh, they need it uh, in order to give them the premium service to help them in that. Those who are advising growers, who, whose job is to, to help them to, uh, to grow their crops better and to bring the integrated technology to them, uh, are more likely to use directly our technology and then take it to the growers. 
So to answer your question, typically it's not the farmers, individual mm-hmm. farmers who are our direct uh, users, but the large enterprise growers who have already precision agriculture teams, who already are, uh, have initiatives to implement precision ag techniques, they are. Okay, okay. So you're really building on an existing capability, an existing function already that, that was already tasked with optimizing yields, getting more and more data. And there you're making their job a lot easier by just providing them with that uh, precision data, as I understand it. Yeah, absolutely. Because that's simply the sort of a roadmap to technology adoption. But I'm sure that as time goes, Typically, a majority of our customers are either those who are aware that there are precision ag techniques and something that they need to implement to grow the crops better, and those who are working to implementing it. The number of those who are completely unaware of the existence of such technology or those who already implemented it some long time ago, there are not so many of those. So we are working in this middle with customers who work actively or are planning to work actively in implementing this kind of technologies into their workflows, decision-making mm-hmm. and, and processes. Very good, very good. So um, it's not so much a sales process where you have to start all the way at the beginning and trying to convince them of, oh, what if you had better data? It's really they're already looking for solutions, as I understand it. Um, and then it's about convincing them that your solution is the best. Yeah, absolutely. It's exactly like that. So the majority of our um, customers or potential customers are already coming with the concrete questions. So they heard for a lot of technology, but now they need to cross the gap between the well, we know about the technology to we really implemented it as a solution to our real problems. And this is where the majority of our effort goes, you know, to put mm-hmm. it into real work and to identify and to resolve concrete use cases. Okay, very good. So if they are already that conscious about their needs, then it must also be that you are typically competing against their certain alternatives, whether it's other companies and you don't have to name them, of course. But what would you say is like your biggest barrier to to entry with those customers? Is it other competition in the same field? Is it other startups? Is it incumbent solutions? Or sometimes the biggest competitor is people doing nothing. Yeah, of course, there are many good companies acting in the same space as we do. We had a lot of good feedbacks from our customers, and we like to say that um, sometimes our best customers are those who previously tried other solutions from our competitors. Yes. <laughs> because typically they are very happy uh, with what we can achieve in terms of the uh, accuracy that we can provide, the actionability of results, our service, and the, all the efforts that we are putting into delivering it and integrating the entire um, the solution into their business and workflows. To be honest, we are not focused so much in fighting against the competition. As I mentioned, maybe even more than once, we are more focused in putting it into the real use. It's the change management and the awareness and the, the way how you, how you integrate the technology and how are you at the end solving the issues that the agriculture professional has that we are putting the most effort. And then, yeah, maybe somebody is doing it better or, or not uh, than us, but I think we are doing fine with having a focus on a customer and not looking so much left and right. Okay, that's that's very good. And it sounds like part of your unique value proposition is really 
to think beyond just the software and think about, well, how does this actually become part of their workflow? How can they actually start using it with the things they're already used to? And so, you know, the services component of your offering seems quite important. Would you say that's correct? Yeah, absolutely. We noticed that it's much easier to explain and to prove the, 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 what are the benefits and the values for a customer than to remove fear of a customer or potential customer about the complexity that this new piece of a technology can bring because they are being bombarded constantly with new technologies, with machineries, with uh, mm-hmm. whether it's drone satellites, softwares, etc. And they need these complexities uh, removed. So, and this is w- what we are trying. And this is why we are building also the uh, different partnerships in the industry from, uh, from integrations to other software, uh, to supporting the different uh, hardware and equipment. Uh, to providing to to finding partners in each country and region of drone professionals who can collect the data, so that we don't shift all this complexity of establishing the workflow and implementing the technology to the customer. So we we want to deliver a turnkey solution to them. We want it to be as simple as possible, so that for them we just reduce it to what are the benefits and what are the value it brings them, and they they can leave the complexities uh, to us. Oh, I love that. And that's, uh, that's so rare, I would say, in what is still pretty much an early stage startup, as I understand it, to already have that full customer focus in mind. Like they don't just want the software, they want the solution that works, the turnkey solution, as you call it, right? Um, I, I like also that you're mentioning partnerships there. So um, it sounds like while you're trying to provide a complete offering, that doesn't necessarily mean you have to do all that activity in-house. It wouldn't be impossible for us to, to collect this data. This is why definitely uh, we have to rely on partnering uh, with uh, drone service uh, providers. And luckily for us, this is a growing industry that is getting professionalized and it's improving each day. So, But it's also about having the partnership with other softwares, for instance, um, the integrations with uh, machinery management software so that yeah, the outputs that we generate, which uh, can be the uh, uh, width pressure map, can be an input into creating a spraying map that you can download to your machinery. And so, so there are different kinds of integrations that you need to achieve in the workflow, in the technology stack, uh, so that at the end, what I mentioned, you remove the most of the complexities for the customer. Okay, very good. So I think it's pretty rare for an early stage startup to already have such a developed view of partnerships. So for the founders that are listening and that are also thinking of having a partnership component to their business model, what's been your experience in how do you find those partners? How do you persuade them to work with you, especially when you're still small yourself? And how do you keep them happy over time? If you come to uh, it, what I learned by my experience, no matter what the, the size of a potential partner on the other side is, whether it's a one-man company like a new mm-hmm. startup or a large global corporation, if you come to them with a viable win-win um, proposition that brings real value to them as well, then it's not hard at all to, to start that kind of partnership. And of course, they may approach it later with higher or lower priorities in sense of execution. So how well will they 
field force or the sales representative promote the integrated solution. Uh, that's that's another thing. But starting to start to work in, uh, in the, with such a companies, it's all about uh, having a meaning a meaningful uh, value proposition for all sides. So uh, I find it really not easy. It, it's all about finding the real the real deal uh, to establish uh, with them. Okay, so yeah, you start from a good win-win and then it really becomes a matter of following up with them and keeping them interested, right? Uh, exactly. I think many people, many people close the deal and then think that that's everything and that's only the start of, a, of hopefully a long relationship. Very good. So yeah, with that, you know, we're actually moving already into, you know, how much traction have you seen with Agrimo? You mentioned customers all around the world, so it seems like it's growing very fast. Yeah, so, so we do have a, a bit over 800 active customers from uh, mm, over 70, wow. 70 countries in the world. Congratulations, Milan. That's, uh, that's awesome. So for those founders that are as impressed with these numbers as I am, can you tell them a little bit how you got to so many customers in what is still a relatively short time? Like what's your go-to market? How do you reach all those customers? How do you get them to sign up for Agremo? These figures, if you don't put them in the context of some other numbers, such as uh, average yearly contract value, for instance, of course, of uh, course, they don't mean a lot. So it's all about segmenting by the sales channel, in, uh, for instance, the coverage metrics. So, so some of the customers, which are much larger by number, uh, but with whom the yearly contracts are of lower value, we get them through partnership with uh, other companies so that uh, it adds also the integrated solution to the overall uh, brand straight and it they are coming through the uh, uh, self conversions on a freemium model uh, then customers who are enterprise customers and who generate larger yearly contracts and with who we have larger corporations they, we typically get to them uh, through direct or inside sales uh, channel, whether through inbound, inbound or outbound leads. Uh-huh. And, finally, and finally, we have a, a local partnerships in different regions to refer and reseller programs. So, so I believe there is no one right answer to a piece of advice that I could give, but it's more like uh, knowing what could be or knowing or testing. So knowing could be too much to say yet because usually you don't know when you start it. Uh, but testing different uh, sales channels uh, for different customer segments and see what works best best for you. Okay, very, very good. So definitely more of an indirect strategy, it sounds like, where you're working uh, also on the sales side more with partner organizations, if that's correct? Uh, the way how we are reaching a larger number of smaller customers. So it's there is a bit of a customer journey and, and one of the important characteristics for us placing the, the art technology uh, on the market is that it's by rule, each customer starts with a small proof of concept project, like a small pilot project, because the technology is new. The adoption of this technology is relatively new. So they want to test it before they buy it. So uh, sometimes we have a company that's, uh, with whom we have signed just $1,000 contract for a year, uh, with the potential that they're growing hundreds of thousands and thousands of hectares. So it's all then converting them and pushing them through this life cycle of a customer uh, before we acquire it. So 
I wouldn't say that uh, it's the most important sales channel, this kind of partnership for us. It's probably more important from the side of uh, visibility and attracting the potential customers to give a look into Grimo. And then we take them further through direct sales activities. Yes, that makes a lot of sense. So you get in with uh, just a small commitment and then when they start seeing uh, how much the data can do for them, then it's really about uh, starting to cover more of their acreage, as you say, right? Yeah, yeah, that's really that's a typical case, yes. How about uh, financing strategy, Milan? Are you looking to raise more money at some point in time or is the strategy more to just be profitable and reinvest in the company yourself? Yes, yeah, so, so we actually had plans again in, in this year to raise the next round to support all what I previously mentioned. And then uh, when the situation of this year started to, uh, to evolve, we simply postponed it. So um, we want to do it uh, somewhere in the near future to raise the next round of funding to support our further development. So this is something that is planned actually for the first half of the next year. Excellent. Very good. So if any investors are listening and interested in the ag tech space, then of course, I'm happy to provide an introduction to Milan if you want to talk to him. And for anyone else, what is the last tip that you would give Milan as an experienced founder by now to people who are a little bit behind you in the journey? Like what is the key learning that you have had as a founder that you would like to convey to other founders? That's a good thing, and, and I'm always very careful uh, with giving advices. It's mm. probably one of the advices that I can give is not to take advices too easy, easily mm. from, from even experienced and very successful entrepreneurs, not because they are they lack the ability to give a good advice. It's because there is a strong situational approach to each company and a startup. It's not the same if uh, you're a startup in Silicon Valley or in a developing country or in one space or the other, and what's your starting position, what are your environment. Uh, so be careful with how you can uh, project the advices or success of others to your startup. That's one thing. And on the other side, to compensate to that, it's just importance of learning. So uh, being able to learn from your specific situation, being able to become better than you are yesterday or you were yesterday, that's probably the most uh, the most important thing that everyone should should be having in mind. And that's an excellent way to finish this recording. So thank you so much, Milan Dobrota, the CEO of Agrimo, uh, joining us from Belgrade, Serbia. It was an honor to have you on the podcast. This was an amazing interview, Milan. Thank you so much. Thank you, Roland, and I was, uh, it was my pleasure to be here. Thanks. Thank you. Like what you heard? Subscribe to this podcast and leave a review. Tune in next time for more tech news and interviews with some of the brightest minds in tech today.